This is Drummer's Resource Podcast, session 580. And the quote of the day is, when someone is properly grounded in life, they shouldn't have to look outside themselves for approval. You're listening to the Drummer's Resource Podcast, home of in-depth interviews with the world's greatest drummers, music industry professionals, and thought leaders. Inspiration, education, and motivation for drumming, and beyond, and beyond, and beyond. Hey, hey, what's going on, everybody? Nick Ruffini here, episode 580 of the Drummer's Resource Podcast, and this is, it's a doozy. This is a great conversation. I got my man, Tony Royster Jr., and if you've been living under a rock for the last couple decades, maybe you don't know who Tony is, but I'm sure that you do, and let me tell you a little bit about him. He started playing when he was two and really broke onto the scene when he was really young. Uh, he was at, at the Modern Drummer Festival when he was 12 years old. He won the Guitar Center drum off around the same time, went on to work with En Vogue. He worked with Paul Schaefer on Nickelodeon. He's worked with Jay-Z. He has worked with Katy Perry, a uh, slew of other artists in between there. And one of the things that stands out to me the most is... Tony is really known for his blazing chops and his blazing speed and all this sort of acrobatic stuff that he can do around the kit. And what he's not known for, or what a lot of people don't talk about, which I think is even more important, is his humility and how grounded he is as a person. And typically, you see it all the time when people become child stars or child prodigies. They have a hard time sort of coping with it and growing up and usually go down a bad path. And I don't know why that is, but a lot of times that happens. And the way that Tony has handled his notoriety and his fame, he's done it with class and he stayed grounded and realizes that what he has is a gift and he just couldn't be a better human being too. So drumming aside, there are more important things than drumming. And what I see in him as a person is amazing to me as well, aside from the fact that he can play circles around everyone that I know. So uh, this is a really exciting interview for me. I'm glad that I got him on the podcast. He shares a ton of nuggets and wisdom and just a lot of great perspective from a great player. So let's not waste any more time. Let's get into it with Tony Royster Jr. Tony Royster, what's happening, man? What's going on, bro? How you doing? I'm doing well. I'm really, really excited to have this conversation with you today. Uh, you and I are around the same age. Uh, I think I'm, I'm 39. What are you? I'm 35. 35. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. I, I know we're around the same age. I don't yeah. want to put you older than you are. That sucks. Uh, but I remember, like, I remember coming up around the same time that you did, and I... I I don't know if I first saw the infamous video of you like at the Modern Drummer Festival or if I saw you at the Grammy Awards. Which one was first? The Modern Drummer Festival was first. The Modern Drummer Festival was first. Yes. I, I think I remember the, the Grammy Festival first. And all I know is you did this solo and you were doing like crossovers and stuff. And I was like, who is this kid on, uh, on the Grammy Award? What was that for? So... um. So that that performance usually during that time of, mm-hmm. of of the Grammys back then, they used to do like a speech. It used to be like the head of of uh, programming or whatever would do a speech, and they thought for this particular year it would be dope to change it up a little bit and uh, 
make a little platform for kids that are talented prodigy kids that's upcoming in the industry you know what i'm mm -hmm. saying just and this and, and they had also the grammys also had the, the whole program with music and kids so it made sense you know right so they what they did was they searched around youtube asked people they did some research and they come to find i think it was one two three four five like five of us but they were mm -hmm. all amazing individuals in their own right as you i don't say. was youtube i don't even think youtube was out then was it i don't was youtube out i don't think I, so how did I get in contact with me? I, I know what it was. it was. I think it was just because um, they knew about other clinics and things that I was doing, and my Got father it. was managing me at the time. Got so it. I think they went through some resources of like my companies and things like that to try to figure out where I was at and where I was located. Got you. Yeah, so that's how that happened. And um, yeah, it was like, we're going to get a couple of other kids, uh, prodigy kids. We just want y'all to do like a little jazz standard. Just do your thing. You that's know, amazing. And it's more so just showcasing you know, young kids um, that that have obtained a gift, you know, mm -hmm. and um, it, it was a great, it was an amazing experience. Um, the keyboard player actually is phenomenal now. Like he was crazy back then. His name is Eldar Jangirf. Mm -hmm. And just to see, just to even go back and look at the video, you know what right. I'm saying? To, to look at it and then see where these guys are now and how they've excelled and progressed in their playing. It's just mm -hmm phenomenal you know yeah so i've got I, I got a lot of things from that that the grammy awards that year really if i just remember watching it and i was like man i was like how did this how did this kid get so good i mean because you were a few years younger than me and i was at you know i was at the age where like i thought i knew everything about playing the drums and like there was no other drummer that was better than me in the world like i was that cocky like teenage mm. kid Right. And then I saw you and I was like, okay, well that goes out the window. But, uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but the, but the interesting thing that, that I think that it's important to, to point out is now I feel like the internet is flooded with kids who are behind the kid or playing an instrument. And then they're like, oh, they're great. And that, but a lot of times I feel like it's like gimmicky or they're just playing this thing or playing that thing or playing these like patterns that they rehearse. But you, I considered you a completely separate breed. I was actually having a conversation with my editor today that, that we were like, yeah, he was really one of these kid prodigies. That is actually a prodigy. That's not like, yeah. that's not just some kid that's doing this gimmick when he was 12 years old. Talk about, talk about two things. One, that development process and, and the other side of it, like really how much work went into it because I think it I think it discredits you to say oh you were just born with it and he just started playing drums and he was just amazing at it and I was like no 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 mm, yeah, you put yeah, a yeah. lot of work into this yeah yeah so talk absolutely. about that development as as an early kid okay um I try to sum it up <laughs> uh, and that was a very long question and I apologize it, it, yeah it's all good it's all good I'll be able to sum sum it up uh, with this answer hopefully um so long story short, basically, I, I started playing drums at the age of three, okay? My mother and father both played drums, okay? And, and I think my grandfather also dibble and dabble. It was more so my, my mother and my father, and my father also played the guitar, too. So in my early days, when I was able to go out and, you know, go to these rehearsals with him, I used to just sit there and watch him rehearse, you know? Mm -hmm. didn't do anything just sat there and watched for days and days and days went on and then he said one day they stopped playing and i got up out of his guitar case and i went over to the drums and started playing a beat in time four, Wait, four you got time. out of his out of his guitar you were sleeping guitar. in the guitar yeah that's how small i was <laughs> so 
So yeah, his guitar case was so plush because it you know had the it was <laughs> the nice velvet and all. Yeah, yeah, really nice and like you know everybody had hard chairs and I could sleep in there. So while he was rehearsing, but one day he said I got up, I went over to the drums. I, I went past the guitar, went past the bass, I went past the keys, I went walk right over to the drums, and before you know it, he said I started playing a beat in time. I barely could touch the pedal and all of that, but he saw the love and like passion I have for how happy it made me. Mm-hmm. And so he came over to the drums and told me to stop. And he said, do it again. And I did it again. And he said he couldn't believe it. He called my mother and then that was his whole thing. So from there, he was like, okay, what we're going to do, I'm going to start putting him in talent shows. We're going to rehearse. We're going to get you a real drum set. We're mm-hmm. not going to have you start playing on pots and pans. Because this is the first time I ever picked up some sticks, yet right, alone right. played on anything. I started on a drum set. I didn't start banging on, he didn't even have no idea. I just started banging mm-hmm. on no couches or pillows. That was the first time I actually showed any type of interest with of any type of instrument. Wow. So, yeah, he started entering me all these talent shows, and it would just be me and him. He would be playing the guitar. I'd be playing the drums. And I started winning first place everywhere. And then he's like, oh, yeah, this kid has a talent. And as the years went on, he, be- he began to see that I-, I started to grasp drumming at a very rapid pace. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. the things that would take, an average drummer a little bit longer to understand I was getting at my age. You right. know? And then my technique began to flourish a little bit more as the years went on. And I be, it was like, I, I think he, he described it to me as like being the Hulk, but like being able to control your power or control what you have. Right. You know? So what he did was he helped me put things in perspective. Like I had all these chops, had everything I heard. I had the musicality, but he helped me put it to where it makes sense. Right. So that's why I think my what, father. What is, so what does that process look like of, of breaking that down? Like, okay, yeah. this, is where, this is where you need to use those chops. This is where you don't need to use those chops. Like, uh, how, do, yeah, yeah. how does that go? So, so basically, he started off with introducing me to this different artists. Artists that he listened to back in like George Benson, Wes Montgomery, um, like old guitarists. Yeah, and yeah. Then, Wes uh, is my, probably my favorite guitar player. Yeah, and then... He started uh, uh, Tito Wente in the Latin area. Just every, everything. He just had me just across the board. No mm-hmm. limitations, right? And he would try to describe to me, like, sometimes if I would be playing a groove and I, I crashed somewhere, he would tell me why I shouldn't crash there. Because the, the crash, the overtone goes into the next bar, you know? And mm-hmm. maybe the verse is ready to come out. He was teaching me this stuff early, Right. And I was, I was getting it, right? So, like, he'll be like, okay, Tony, solo, right? And so I just go, and I'll be playing. I'm still in time. I still hear the metro. I, hear, I still hear the time. But everything I'm doing, it's just what I'm feeling, right? Mm-hmm. So what he'll do, he'll stop me. he say, do that thing you did right before, right? And so, for example, there's like a little ostinato thing I did on the Monodrome Festival. Now, in practice, I was doing an ostinato. I was doing a whole bunch of things. He said, now... Stop. Now, just do this section right here and do it over and over again. So I did it over and over again. Now, he said, you see, that's a pattern. That's a groove. That's something that people could, could vibe with and, and like really internalize and actually see for a second before you move on, as opposed to just doing a whole bunch of stuff every time. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you have to understand and dissect what you're doing. You have to to a certain degree. You know what I mean? Because that's the only way you can really play things confidently, too, if you know like what you're playing. So right. that's basically how he uh, broke it down to me, like different fields and patterns I was doing. He would just stop me, have me play it, 
tell me why I should, why I shouldn't, how this could sound this way if I took away these two beats and accent the hi-hat here. It was just a more so, this classes, but just talking, you know? Mm-hmm. Me playing and him telling me what I should do with my playing. Right. You know what I mean? It seems then, like your dad is a, is a very uh, accomplished musician himself. Well, he's, a, he's an accomplished musician in his own right. It's just that he understands, he understands what musicality was. Mm-hmm. Now, as far as the crazy time signatures and, the, and as far as like the crazy fills and the inverted rudiments, everything, like that's not his thing. His right. thing is music, musicality, mm-hmm. making records, playing behind an artist, making sure you don't get fired, that type of thing. I'd argue that's maybe the more important thing than inverted paradiddles. Exactly. And he, and, and it was backwards for me because like I already had the chops and everything. So he just made sure I had also had the other side of playing grooves and making sure that I, I understood that keeping the pocket was important. This is what the drummer's job was before mm-hmm. I went into the, uh, the realm of doing clinics. Right. Right. So right. it started off with me playing grooves and things with, with him and then it went from, okay, I got really good. I entered into the uh, Guitar Center drum off. And he was like, we're going to really see like, where you're at and you're playing. Right. Right. And, we've, and this is years. So it went from three, now I'm 11. And I've won like, all my talent shows, school talent shows, won money, trophies. And he said, you know what? It's time to take it to the next level. Right. I forgot how many drummers entered that year, maybe like 8,000 or something like that wow. over, over, you know, the States. And I remember he, we drove, I believe from Georgia when I was living at the time, all the way to Connecticut or Chicago in my van and his van, we drove there, we played, I ended up getting to the championship and I won. And I, I didn't know exactly what that meant mm-hmm. this entire time. All I'm doing is playing and doing what I love. Right. You know, even right. the people out there and whatever, it wasn't, I wasn't even nervous. Mm-hmm. Like I'm a kid. You know what I'm saying? What y'all right. going to do? Boo me? Right. <laughs> but I, it's a it's valid like, point. But I got here, I got this far. So obviously I, I, I was good enough to impress the judges. Mm-hmm. I went to three rounds. You know what I'm saying? Three or four rounds, whatever it was. So I ended up winning. Where, that. Did, that con- uh, where did that conviction come from? Do you think? And, and that, that, like I want like bravado without ego. Um, I just think maybe because I've seen other drummers in the industry with that type of attitude and with that type of approach to the playing, mm-hmm. and I, just didn't want, I never wanted to be that way. Like I just right. saw how they acted towards other people and how they thought that they was that guy or, or you know whatever. And when bro, you haven't even really been anywhere. And there's probably drummers all over this world that would destroy you, but they just didn't have the opportunity like you did to be here. You know what I'm saying? Or whatever Mm -hmm. the case may be. So my thing was my, my mother was a Christian. So she always, she raised me right. She brought me up with morals, with respect, you know, and that guy gave me this gift, you know Mm -hmm. what I'm saying? And just as easy he gave it to you, you could take it away. So I kept that same mentality throughout my entire life, you know, Mm -hmm. and it, it only grew because as I was staying humble and, I noticed that I was being blessed more. My talent was flourished. I was, I was getting better. People began to gravitate to, towards me because sometimes it's not even about your playing. A lot of times it's about your personality. Mm-hmm. You know, do mm-hmm. I really even want to be around this guy? Oh, he's a phenomenal drummer, but he's an a-hole. Right. I don't like yep. him because of his personality. Mm-hmm. 
you know, so it's two sides of the spectrum. And I wanted to make sure I had both of those locked, you know, together yeah. to where it balanced each other out. Um, yeah. And so with that being said, doing all these clinics or uh, let me go back after I won the talent show and won the drum off, I saw that how people really gravitated towards me um, as far as like this young kid that, you know, had all this talent. So there was another kid that I looked up to that I thought was going to destroy the entire nation. His name was Jacob Armin. And have you ever heard of this drummer? No. Oh, no. God. Whenever you get a chance, okay? So mm -hmm. before me, like there was only one Tony Royster, right? Right. But there was only one Jacob Armin. So, and like you have Thomas Pridge and everything, but Jacob was the Tony to, to you guys, you know what I'm saying? If that makes right. sense. Yeah. Yeah, and he was younger, so he he uh he was headlining on like the Johnny Carson show. He did the whole big band. He was a leader of the band. Like every, he's an amazing drummer. So I, I I say that to say this, you know, he came in. His parents, you know, that's their own story. But he he came into the industry and he didn't flourish the way that a lot of people thought he was. And I mm -hmm. thought he would be on an entire different level. But you know, things happen. That's life. But I didn't want to be that drummer. Also, that people saw as a little kid coming in the industry and then I would fizzle out. Right. Because right. because it's drumming and like he's going to get over it. It's, it's, mm -hmm. it's like or what? like everyone else's talents are going to catch up to yours and then you're just like everybody else. Yeah, yeah. Or he wants to be a kid and want to play sports and do all that as opposed to, you know, taking this seriously because it could possibly be something amazing for him later on in life. Right. So, I I think my dad and my parents were keeping me on that path. You know, mm -hmm. um, so yeah, after I won that, you know, um, the next thing was like the NAMM show, right? And my first NAMM show was when I was 12. Right after I won, excuse me, right after I won the drum off, excuse me, I'm sorry. Right after I won the drum off, I went to the NAMM show and that was the first time I met my favorite drummer, who was Dennis Chambers, right? Mm -hmm. And they had one of my favorite drummers. And they had this picture, iconic picture of me playing this pearl drums. He's standing like looking over me. And I'm like, yo, this is incredible. This is what I need to be doing. And everybody around me, it was just like the feeling that I got, you know, right. of, of just a love. How could drums bring this type of, you know, camaraderie, which I didn't know what that word meant. Back then. <laughs> but right. how, how could drums really bring everyone together like this? Mm -hmm. And so... You know, after I met him and I, you know, obviously I knew about his playing, Pearl uh, came to me with an endorsement situation. And then, uh, then that's when things started rolling. Right. You know, the humbleness, the, that's why I was just talking about the blessings and, and, and just staying grounded and just doing what you love. Let my father do like a lot of the work. He was my manager at the time. He just told mm -hmm. me, play, you play, let me worry about the business and make sure I'll make sure you're taken care of what you did. Right. And, you know. Uh, I got endorsements, and then right after that, that's when I got uh, asked to perform in a mono drummer festival. Got it. And then from there, that's when things really skyrocketed. You yeah. know, yep. and it took a whole other course. How know? were you managing that with school and being a kid? And and yeah. I mean, I grew up totally different scenario, but like I grew up in my parents' restaurant, and like I would have to leave Little League practice to go to work. Right. Mm -hmm. Like I would have to leave early to go to work or like I couldn't go hang out with my friends on the weekends because I had to work. Mm. Uh, and and I don't know. I don't know if I feel like part of my childhood was kind of taken away a little bit or not. How did you feel about it? Did you feel like 
you wanted to do other stuff too and and the and the quote unquote job was like taken over a little bit um no it was it was actually really opposite for me so my father he's he, he, first of all he was in the military mm-hmm. you know he did like 22 years you know but he was in the military you know back then he retired um but one thing he he did he didn't want to be a joe jackson okay? right yeah, he didn't want to force me to do something I didn't want to do because that causes so uh, much yeah. trauma. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's it's a different type of situation. So he never wanted to do that. And then he saw that when I went and played sports and hung out with my friends, that made me happy, which made me want to play the drums. You right. know what I'm saying? That's yeah. how I. That's how I felt like you know, motivated, inspired, you know, mm-hmm. I, I, I wanted to practice due to my emotions, mm-hmm. you know, right. the school, the school, and then I was cool, but then I go and play. And another thing is throughout my entire life, no lie. I, I don't think that I practiced in one single day longer than like three hours, like ever, maybe really? two and a half, even really? as a child. Yeah. Not consistently either. You know what I'm saying? So my really? thing was, yeah, it, it, and it's, it's crazy because people think that I practice six, seven, eight hours a day. Right. And my practice for me was to go in there, play for 40 to an hour, Hold get on. down so, and practice, go over something I really want to go quick, over. You, you cut out there for a second. Okay. Uh, but let me do this. Tuck your, can you tuck your chain in? Because the mic hits oh, the chain oh, gotcha, and then it gotcha. makes a noise. Okay. But you cut out anyway, so that was a perfect time to do it. So okay. uh, start over, you were saying people think that I was practicing eight hours a day, but what I oh, would yeah. do. Oh, yeah. So people thought I, I, I practiced like hours and hours on top of hours, you know, and you do realize, and I, I was trying to help people understand that, yeah, I still was a kid though. You know, I still mm-hmm. had homework. Right. I still wanted to have fun. I was just, it just so happened that I was good at something. Right. 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 So, and I didn't know how good I can get. All I wanted to do is just consistently play because I know I love to do it. And my father and my mother both supported me. So it was, it was, it was a great thing. You know, it was never like, ah, oh, Tony, get off the drums because it's this hour, this hour. It was like, I would play. And yeah. it would be good. So, yeah, so I would play like maybe an hour and a half, two hours. I would, I would internalize what I practiced. And then sometimes my practice would just be listening to music. Mm-hmm. When hours. you say you internalized what you practiced, what do you mean by that? So, like, for example, if I, was, if I went into the room and um, just say I was working on like three or four different grooves, like, different ways i'm talking about speed dynamics um tone approach like everything you know mm-hmm. i would try to do all those within like you know an hour and a half to uh, of, of like maybe four or five different grooves and that's what i would work on right, right. and the internalization would be the repetition me being able to play these grooves to a metronome and then turn the metronome down or like kind of turn the music off to where to see where my timing was, you know? Right. So that was, that was an early process for me too, because, you know, obviously a drummer is supposed to keep time. What if there's no metronome? What if you have to hold it? Who wants a drummer that drags and who right. wants a drummer who super rushes? So that was my practice too. What's not always mm-hmm. about speed and everything. It was about the, the, uh, the important aspects of becoming a great drummer, right. not just a good drummer, a great drummer. 
-hmm. an exceptional drummer, you know? And so these are the things that my father, you know, told me was important. So, and then I, I, I would listen to this music for hours, you know, hour and a half, two hours in a room, maybe doing my homework or whatever, but just listening to music, embedding it into my, into my brain. And, um, yeah, and then after that, that's what my practice routine was. And then it got to the point to where, okay, I knew that, let's say I had a clinic coming up, and this one I started doing clinics. So after, my, uh, after the Modern Drummer Festival, I started being asked to you know, perform different places. And um, after that, people was like, yo, I want you to come here and do this. Do you mind doing a clinic? Have you ever done one before? Mm-hmm. And then that whole thing sparked. And before you know it, I was just doing clinics like all over the place. Right, you know? right. Yeah. And then after that, that's how people begin to find out more about me. Video begin to, you know, circulate throughout the world, mm-hmm. whatever, the solo. And then that's another reason how I, I got offered to be uh, on the Grammy Awards. So all that time in between. So the interesting thing about practice is you're, you're saying, okay, you know, I'm not, I'm not practicing eight hours a day. I'm a kid and all that, but what, and you also, so you also said that you weren't consistent, but I would, I got to ask like, when you say you weren't doing it consistently, I would imagine that means for you, like you were doing it five days a week, not seven days a week. Yeah. Like five, five days a week. I did. I didn't practice like every day, bro. I just, right. I just couldn't, you know, it's not that I couldn't, but I just, it just, it, that's just not how it worked for me. My right. formula. I guess the reason why I'm asking that is there's the, I believe there's like this weird mental thing with practicing where people People, if they're, if they're not practicing, they get all hyped up. They go, starting tomorrow, I'm going to practice five hours every day. And I'm like, it's never going to last, right? But if you practiced an hour every other day for the next 10 years, like that's consistency. You know what I mean? You're going to get a lot more accomplished than practicing one day for five hours and then not practicing for three months and then practicing again for eight hours. And, and so like, what's your take on, on, consistency of practicing versus like length of time in practicing well you know okay so it, it really depends on the actual person right okay so there, there there are some drummers musicians in general but there are some people who eat drink poop everything music and drums right okay which is fine that's the each is own. that's what you want to do that's what it is i have a personality I have mm-hmm. other characteristics about me that I probably would have expounded on even more if I wasn't, if I didn't know that I had this gift to play drums. You know right. what I mean? Like I what probably been, well, I love acting. Mm-hmm. Um, I like your workout videos. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the workout videos, man, I'm about to do some more. I, I, I actually, <laughs> this quarantine has helped me out a lot. I'm doing a lot of things that I never thought that I would have the time to do. So we could talk about that later, but um, yeah, so, um, what was that? I lost my train of thought. You were saying you, you like acting? Oh, acting. When I was younger, remember how I was talking about, like, sports and things? hmm Like, oddly enough, I became, like, a professional bowler. Really? Yes, yeah, so I had a scholarship to Florida State University to bowl. Get out of here. Yeah. Is, it, is this part of the Tony Royster Jr. acting right now? Deadass. You're serious? Yeah, so I, I got I got my first. I'm laughing because like I would like I just wouldn't have. Exp- I want to hear about this. Well, yeah. So basically, when I was younger, around the age of 15, I started bowling when I was 14. 
And it just became something that I really enjoyed doing. Like a lot of my friends was doing it at, at when I was living in Georgia at the time. Like a lot of my close friends loved it because we had like a little Saturday league. Mm-hmm. And then we go and play flag football after that. So it was like a lot of different things. It was always in sports. But for some reason, I just – anything that required physical activity, I wanted to be the best at it. Mm-hmm. I didn't care. I was, I'm a very, like a very competitive person. You know? right. I'm not a sore loser. But I'm very competitive, and by loss, I got to work harder. Yeah. Right. So when I started bowling, it went from me using a regular house ball to one of these guys, like one of the these old, old, older guys, like an OG in the game. He walked up to me. And he was like, "Listen, man, is that since I've been watching you for a while, uh, and you have you have talent to bowl. You have the potential to be a really, really good bowler. But these are the things you will need to do." And he said, I wasn't going to say anything to you, but I would love to see what could possibly happen. So this random guy in there who's been watching me, I didn't even know who he was. You know, I've seen him in the bowling alley quite a few times. Right. Turns out that he was like the, the, uh, one of the main managers at the bowling alley, and I didn't even know. So he started teaching me. He helped me get a ball, real ball, real drill, get it drilled, everything. Long story short, I bowled for like five, six months with this guy. And I just began to get really, really good. And I started bowling with like 30 and 40-year-old men. They started using me as a tool to help them make Secret money. Weapon. Yeah. Nice. Like the white they, man can't jump hustle. Yeah. Because they were like, hey, me and him, me and this kid right here will challenge you and you, and I'll put up the money for him. All he got to do is vote. Work. How many pins you get? Just give us 20 pins as a right. handicap. Right. And I will go up there and destroy you know? <laughs> and so when I was 15, this is amazing. So when I was 15, this guy was like, man, it's so, it's so gratifying to see what you come from. And I told him, I really appreciate him even taking the time to help me right after that conversation. I want to say two or three weeks after in a league, I threw my first 300, like wow. all strikes. How old were you? 15. <laughs> so after I threw that and I, I got a pin, I got a ring, everything. And so what happens is when leagues have a bowler that does that, they be immediately begin to reach out to sanctions, immediately to reach out to like different schools that have bowling as a program there because you can get a, a scholarship, go there to bowl, and okay. go to bowl for free, you know, the whole thing. So I got offered that, and it was like, you can go here if you want. And, you know, and I was like, I want to bowl for money. Like, this is what I know. I, I know that right. my, 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 my source of income, or, or not even source of income, I'm sorry, my main job is not even a job, my passion, but the thing that takes up most of my time is drumming. Mm-hmm. This bowling is a hobby. Right. And then I already knew what I wanted to do as a career, as an occupation, so there was really no need to go to college at the time. Right. You know what I'm saying? I wasn't right, even right. about that. Let me finish my high school, get my diploma and everything, and then I'm out. Mm-hmm. And I'm yeah, but I just became really good. Ping pong, I became really good at. Pool, I became really good at. I was winning first place in all, like, all these sports. But all these sports had something to do with an enhancement of my playing because it had to deal with precision, focus, like consistency with learning, muscle mm-hmm. memory, Hand a lot of different things. Hand-eye coordination. I was amazing at baseball. I, I started – I was on my varsity baseball team – in the eighth grade, like going up to the ninth grade, I was playing varsity at ninth grade, second base, and pitcher. 
like you know what I'm saying. So I, right. I was I was physically sound uh, to do all of these sports, and I loved it. But these sports allowed me to be happy and and train my body as well mm-hmm. to go back on the drums. Because when it was time to do an hour show or something, I'm physically in shape. I'm right. ready. Right. You know. Right. And I'm not like going to. Do you feel like you're a quick learn? You're a quick learner, or or learning things is easy for you. Not let's take a, a part, or you know, take the work out of it because I know it's hard work. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know people who work hard for years at you know sitting behind the kit and just nothing nothing great comes out of it. Do you mm-hmm. think that you're you're a quick learner, or that learning comes easy to you? Um, yeah, and I, I just think that everybody has your own niche, your own way of figuring things out. You know what I'm saying? Um, and, and like I said, this is where the humble part comes in because I have all these accolades. I have, my resume is long, whatever. To me, like, I'm just thankful to be here, right? Mm-hmm. And for all these drummers to, you know, say how great I am and all that. Sometimes all that praise, some drummers, that gets to their head and things right. just get out of order, right? But with me, the consistency of, of um, sorry. So the, the consistency of me basically um, trying to figure something out with my playing, like I break things down. Like for me, I'm not a great reader. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? I used to be able to read, you know, when I was in school a little bit, but I was never like a great reader, you know, but I figured out that I'm going to need to be able to retain some type of information if I plan on playing for anybody. Right. You know what I'm saying? Especially if I don't know the really material and I have to learn it, a lot of guys might write it, you know? Mm-hmm. A lot of my guys might do different things. So what I did was I was really good uh, with, like, like, photographic memory. I, w- I was good with, like, being able to see something and then, like, closing my eyes and just still being able to, like, see it. So the mm-hmm. same thing with learning, uh, with, with the drums. If I would hear something, I was great with breaking down what was going on without even looking at the person. So if I was hearing a, a pattern, I could be looking this way and I could play the same pattern. Right. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So, and then I knew that in a, in a song, you have a verse, usually a verse, chorus, bridge, and the chorus out or something like that. And most of the time, the beats and the patterns are all the same. The verse chord, the first pattern is the same. Verse, uh, the chorus pattern is the same. So it's really more so just about understanding and breaking down specific things that you want to learn and knowing how it works for you. And that's right. what it, that's how it was for me. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. What What is your advice for people who are are struggling or they're like, man, I'm practicing, but like, I just don't feel like I'm getting any better. I can't, I don't feel like, you know, I feel like I'm just stuck in this box where I'm playing the same thing over and over again or, or not accelerating the way that I want. Yeah. Well, they're going to have to uh, reach out to me and take these lessons. Hit my DM. Uh, <laughs> no, no, but I, I, some of my lessons, some of my students, you know, some of them get on there and they will be a witness. They'll get on there and a lot of them can play, you know, a little bit. Some, are, you know, are better than others. But one thing that they all struggled with was, which was so, it wasn't even mind bothering because I already knew it was getting ready to happen. But they were struggling with some of the most simple things. Mm. Like your body naturally wants to go fast. Your body naturally wants to do things uncontrollably. You know what I'm saying? If you, it's, it's, 
what happens when you're trying to get better? If, if, and I use this different uh, examples like this. If you're trying to get stronger in the gym, mm-hmm. you're going to lift heavy weight. You're just going and pushing heavy weight. Are you necessarily getting stronger or are you just pushing up weight? Are your muscles really building or are you pushing up weight? I can go in the gym and just say I can lift up 200 pounds, but for some reason I can't lift up 205. But I've been lifting up 200 pounds for two years. Right. What's the difference? Why? When you're lifting weights, you know, if you have a bar, sometimes you do time under tension or retention, I think that's what it's called. Slow, come down slow with the weight. Now, mm-hmm. now it's control. Now your muscles are getting even stronger because now you have to control 200 pounds as opposed to just going Throwing crazy. Up and down. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So the same thing with drumming. Like I would give an example of a paradiddle, right? You would think that this was, in comparison, if I use an analogy, it was like AP calculus. <laughs> right, right? Right. I say, pay a paradiddle. Right, left, right, right, left. They'll do it. I say, no, do it slow. Right, right, left, right, right. And they're like, okay. I said, now, I just want you to understand things are about to get a little different for you at this speed. They're like, okay, well, I'm ready. Five minutes in, they're like, oh, my God, I can't believe this. And what's happening is you're doing things that your body is not used to. You never really thought about it because you're trying to, I don't know, chase somebody else as far as trying to like sound like somebody else is playing. You don't have any really like guidance. So you're just going off of, you know, what you're seeing on YouTube and then saying, okay, that's what I want or whatever you're looking at, whatever you're trying to learn from. But what I, I said, play this, play this paradiddle slow, right? I said, have you ever counted while you're playing a paradiddle? Some people can't even count and play a paradiddle at the same time because people don't even realize that your mouth is an instrument too. And your right. brain is, is trying to figure out okay, I have to say this at the same time I have to do that, just like independence. Mm-hmm. And it's so crazy the way I break down a paradiddle. And I could do a whole hour lesson on a paradiddle and they've learned so much. And all that is is dissecting the basic simplicity of what you already know, mm-hmm. what's already relative to you and, and the things that you've, that you've learned already. Right. You know what I mean? I play a single doubles and paradiddle. Those are my three favorite rudiments of all time. Mm-hmm. But I can play a million different things with these rudiments, you know? It's right. just about, it's about your approach and your thought process and really taking the time to be like, you know what, I do want to learn it this slow. When you play a paradiddle slow, it sounds completely different when you play it fast, clearly. Yeah. Right. But it, it, it's just about the dynamics and tone. So now you're, you're, you're saying, oh my gosh, I just came up for eight different things from a paradiddle. Yeah. You're talking about a paradiddle. Yep. You know what I'm saying? Yep. Think about how much shit there is in the world to play. So that's how I try to open up drummers' minds when they get stuck or they hit that block. Mm-hmm. Okay, go back to what you already know. Flip it around a little bit. Right. You know what I'm saying? Somebody, some people can't play. I, I, one of the exercises I give my students, I say, since you know, you're trying to figure out how to get better independence, I said, do this for me. I said, if the tempo was up, two, three, four, right? Yeah. With your feet, play right, left, right. Right, left, right, left, left. With your feet, right? With your hands, I want you to do right, left, right, right, left, right, left, left, right. And I want you to do it at the same time. Your feet slow, your hands fast at that tempo. Everybody shuts down. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Everybody shuts down. Yeah. It's a paradiddle. It's just one is going faster than the other. But because of the tempo, the, the, the control, and the independence that it takes in order for you to uh, – 
to switch, you know, tempos, like it's just different. So right. when I say practicing consistently for an hour is really what you practice as opposed to how long you practice. And I never really wanted to practice that long either because that should have probably get boring. And on top of that, me practicing for eight hours a day, by the time I was 25 and as much as, you know, how fast I was playing and all the stuff I was saying, I probably would have had carpal tunnel to the 10th power right now. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yep. Yep. So, you know, more so for me, it was a, like a, a gradual, consistent growth mm-hmm. as opposed to trying to get super good in like a short amount of time. I've been checking out the new Sonar SQ-1 kits, and they are sick. You know who else thinks they're sick? Chris Coleman. I'll let him take it from here. When I hear something inside of me, I have to get it out. I have to get the sound that's within me out. Whatever I'm feeling in the moment, I go for it. And I may create something fresh and new from me. Something I may change about it, something I may not. I'm just going with the flow. Sonar has done it. SQ1, my sonar drummer. Check them out. You'll dig them. Hey, are you tired of coded drum heads chipping and flaking after only a few hours of play? Tired of premature denning and breakage? Well, welcome to the next generation of coded drum heads, Evan's new UV coating technology. They're made with proprietary inks and a new UV light curing process, so these heads are able to withstand strikes, brush strokes, and rim shots better than anything on earth. That means you get to play heads that sound and look fresh for longer, and you can spend less time tuning and modifying and changing heads. They're available in one ply and two ply, as well as Evan's proprietary hydraulic and EMAD systems. Check them out by going to evansdrumheads.com. My argument is always, I now, I don't feel like people are trying to get really good. I just think they're trying to get really fast. Which is crazy. And that's Which a is lot horrible. Of the, yeah, right? yeah, 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 yeah. Talk to me, because you and I are, like we said earlier, we're around the same age. I'm a few years older than you. I got, I really got like hip to the internet in college. You were in high school, right? Like when YouTube and Napster and all that kind of stuff was wow, coming out. Napster. Wow. So they just, Napster just sold for $70 million. Of course they did. Yeah. Like that's crazy. Yesterday or two days ago. Who bought it? Um, I forget. I forget. I have looked that up. That's interesting. So I grew up VHS, DVDs, that kind of thing, learning from those cats. But now obviously you see like what's going on with Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, all that kind of stuff, Snapchat, everything that's going on with, with this like need for speed. Right. What's your take on that whole thing? Because like you, you're the guy that's like, all right, you can blow everyone's doors off and then you can go play with Katy Perry and you can do everything in between, right? Like now it's just like everyone wants to get to 100, I think anyway. Well, yeah. I mean, first of all, we are not track stars, okay? My name is not Usain Bolt. We're not trying to get the fastest time. This is right. not that type of sport. You know what I'm saying? It's it's great back then. It was great for the the flair and everything. All that did was just draw attention to you. It also allowed you allow people to see that okay, this dude does have some talent. He's doing things that I can't necessarily do, but 
you know, it's, it's just amazing to watch, you mm-hmm. know, just like anybody else who's doing something that's phenomenal or whatever, what have you, that's just very interesting and, 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 and appealing to you. But for me nowadays, you know, that, that for me was what I needed to do back then because I was doing clinics. Nobody right. wants to necessarily want to come and see me play. Especially as a young kid, I started off with chops and everything. Nobody really wants to see me go to a clinic and play 4-4 four, four, grooves all day with the band. So, yeah, speed was, was a great uh, – it, it, it was a good thing to have in my arsenal. Right, mm-hmm. just to just to be able to use it if need be, you know. But at the at the same time, my whole thought process process when it comes to music today, and even like the past three years, four years, have dramatically changed. You know awesome. what I mean? Because like now, you know, I look at back then it was cool. So you have these drummers that get on the internet. Yeah, these drummers that try to be like this drummer, and like you said, try to be fastest, whatever, right? So you see the world, the way the world is shaping up, right? Shit is absolutely nuts at this point. So you have to think about your future. You have to think about different things that, you know, you have to put in place, right? And for musicians, what really, what really makes money nowadays, as as a drummer or as a musician? Is it speed and like doing all these chops and all that, or is it actually getting with an artist, getting with some friends, creating some great music, hopefully you're getting some traction to where you can sell it, you know, whatever the case may be, pocket, having some flair here and there, but it's about creating music. That's what I want to do. You know what I'm saying? When I look mm-hmm. at Abel, when I look at Abel Boreal Jr. playing with Paul McCartney, there's probably a thousand drummers that can play circles around him. But there's one thing you can't, can't do and you won't take him from is the fact that, first of all, he has a solid gig. He's an amazing drummer. He stays within his lane. And I'm pretty sure his uh, income doesn't uh, shy too far away from what he's been doing. You know what right, I'm saying? Right. So that's where, it's, for me, I want to take care of my family. I want to take care of myself. I want to you know, do other things. And so right now, making great music, making a mark, you know, in the industry, as far as my sound, that's what I'm working on now. Like I haven't, mm-hmm. I haven't had like a record, my own personal record since I've been playing drums. Hmm. You know what I'm saying? The only, right. only body of music that I've had was my DVD, which was switched into a CD at the time. Right. Right. But I never came out with a Tony Royster Jr. and friends or whatever the case may be. That's what I'm focused on right now. Just like make a real great music and, you know, the clinics and, and, and the speed, everybody else can have that. I'm going to still be fast regardless, right. but, but I'm, not, I'm not focused on that. Right. You know what I mean? I'll bring that out when, when it needs to. That's just like a feel or like an outro or something, but mm. no artist, you're not going to use that for 60% or 70% of the show, depending on who you're playing with. But, sure. you know, that's neither here nor there. It, it really depends on that, that situation. But, yeah, any drummer that comes to me with this is, I just want to get faster and, you know, more feels and everything. And then I just help them break down some things sometimes. And it, and it changes their viewpoint a little bit, mm-hmm. which is good. You know, it's okay to be fast, but are you fast, but do you have great technique? You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Okay, you want to be fast, but do you have the stamina to be able to keep this up? You're fast, but are you, do you have precision? Like, are you going to hit the rims every 
two seconds when you're trying to go at this speed. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of different factors that goes into trying to be fast right? and tone and everything, you know? So as I'm not, like I said, I'm not, I haven't been focused on speed in a while. If I do some things, that's just because that's just what I do. It's always boggled my mind where like I'll have conversations with people and I'm like, what are you trying to do? Like, what's the goal? And they're like, I want to, I want a big gig. I want to get a gig with Katy Perry or I want to get a gig with John Mayer or whoever it is. Right. Right. And I'm like, well, everything on your, on Instagram is you playing like upside down and, and playing at 300 miles an hour. Right. Like, where's the pocket stuff? Where's the groove? Where's the feel? Where's the, where's the different approaches and everything? And they're like, well, I get more likes when I play fast and, and do all that stuff. And I'm like, yeah, but it's not about the likes. You're going to get more likes. Okay, that's what's up. You might get more likes, but you're, I, I'm going to tell you right now, you're going to get less calls. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? More likes, less calls. That's fine. You know, and, and that's what I try to tell. That's what I try to tell a lot of my, my you know, fellow drummers and friends, you know, who do play drums. And a lot of them actually have a great sense of uh i might say a great sense but a, a, a amazing understanding of what it is to be a successful drummer but also um a drummer whose name will consistently be in circulation that's what you mm-hmm. want to be you want to be a drummer that's in many people's mouths first of all for the positive and right reasons but you know if there's a gig coming up or if there's a television show coming up or if there's something that we need a drummer who we know that can come in and play this pocket, lay down, give me the feels and, and you know what I need. Like that's the type of calls that you want. I don't give a damn about any likes on my page. You know what I'm saying? If you like what I play, you like what I play. I played this right then and there just because I maybe I got this new set or maybe I just felt like some or a little idea. But at the end of the day, none of you guys really are paying my bills like that. You know what I'm saying? Right. And, and, and my thing is all I want to do is sit here and continuously help to motivate, inspire, and just try to be the best person that I can be too, you know? But my thing is I try to tell people all the time, you can't, you can't please everybody, it's impossible. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. It's impossible to please everyone. And I just know that just as long as I'm doing what my heart feels and, and I'm, I'm secure with that, mm-hmm. you know? And, and regardless, there's gonna be people that's gonna love me and there's gonna be people that hate me. Even if I'm playing the greatest stuff in the world, there's still going to be somebody that says John Bonham is the greatest drummer ever. Right. That's right. fine. I love John Bonham. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> but that's, that's not me. We're completely two different people. So not to go off track, but I'm just saying like. No, this, this is important. You know, it's just, it's just everybody has these different type of mindsets when it comes to, uh, you know, what you should learn, what, what you need to know. And it's just such a crazy conversation to have with just different drummers mm-hmm. and what, what they feel like the priority is. Yeah. You know, and, and I mean, it's whatever. But at this point, like I said, for me, speed, whatever, that's fine. My goal is to make sure that I can actually be or have the same type of um, uh, presence and, and what's, what's the other word I'm looking for? Um, just, just after I finish doing what I do in my time, I want mm-hmm. people to, to really appreciate and know that I did put in 110% and I did try to establish my own type of being. You know, I didn't mm-hmm. want to try to follow a trend and, and to let people know that anything is possible, yeah. you know? And yeah. if you stay focused, 
you can you can make it and you can mm-hmm. and you know stay stay consistent and persistent you're gonna you're gonna it's a strong possibility that you're gonna make it you yeah. know i think there's a, an important thing that you said that i want to make sure that everyone hears too like it doesn't matter what you put on social media there's going to be a hater it could be steve gad putting this most amazing thing up and they're going to be like this guy sucks it oh, could yeah, be sure. you that puts up the most blazing thing in the world that's flawless and somebody's going to be like this guy sucks so yeah for like, sure like there's going to be haters out there so you can't let that you can't that let that get to to your core and like let it affect your self-worth i think that's really important man yeah yeah very, very much so and i tell some people to turn off your comments bro yeah. like play Post it, you want people to see it, okay? Maybe you're just uh, excited and you feel accomplished because you finally got something that you've been practicing for a long period of time and you just want to share it. Turn off your comments. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? But if you're, if you're searching for validation every time you play, that's not good. You know what I'm saying? Seeking the validation from everybody is not good. Now, seeking the validation from people that can actually help you in your career is a different story, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And that's that's where you're supposed to sit back and accept constructive criticism and and knowing that okay yeah I definitely still have a lot to learn. Mm-hmm. Put your pride and ego aside. Like these are a lot of things that a lot of drummers and musicians don't have. Like these type of characteristics. Mm-hmm. And I've seen it throughout my years of playing. You know, people get it's just different. It's just different. I'm not even going to get into that, but it's different. Has it ever been hard for you to accept criticism or or having people tell you? to do something differently or something like that, being that you're so accomplished, you're, you're such a great player. Has it been hard for you ever? Uh, I'm just going to be honest with you, no. Because like my earlier years, you have to think about it. So it's a little bit different for me. Like when Michael Jordan was younger, and I'm not, I'm not comparing myself. It's so crazy because I try to use the comparisons, but you understand where I'm coming from. Yes. Like, yeah. So if like a younger Michael Jordan came into a gym, even people his age and people older, but he came into the gym and he was murdering, right? Mm-hmm. Every time he steps into the gym, he murders. He always puts on a show. It's always something new you could possibly expect from him. Or right. if not, he's going to do his regular and smash as usual. I don't really think that anybody's going to say anything to him, yet alone talk to him, right? Mm-hmm. And try to tell him he should do something better if, I, if he's whooping your ass you know what i mean <laughs> consistently yeah, now yeah. if i want to say if dr j walked into the gym or like larry bird walked into the gym or like somebody of that caliber that was just an og triple og season he might not be able to beat michael right now but he just obviously you know who this guy is legendary right, right? that's the type of people that you really want to gain knowledge from because they lived it, they've dealt with it. They, they probably have more knowledge you would ever think about that can even enhance your game. And the fact that they have the time to sit down and talk to you and not be a hater, because there's a lot of haters out here. There's right. even older mentors and people that, that are done do not want to see you win because maybe their life didn't shape up the way yours did. You know? But with me coming up, my father was the only person around me. So first of all, nobody was going to talk to me about anything because right. Right. he was there. right? So the fact that he was there... You know, I didn't really have to deal with any type of constructive criticism because all that was coming from him. Got you know, that's my father. So yeah. whatever he's going to say, I'm going to listen to it. Then when he stopped being my manager, I went like our separate ways and I, you know, started going deeper and deeper into the industry. And that's when things begin to get a little different, you know. And I had no problem listening. 
You know, I still want to, I still want to build a great foundation with people. I would never kiss ass, but I would definitely hold my ground. I understand, you know, be respectful, learn from it and keep it pushing. And that's mm-hmm. why I got to where I am today, you right. know, by having that same type of attitude, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, it's, I mean, you can always learn, bro. Yeah. I would imagine there's a lot of, there's a lot of learning to do when you go from being a guy who does clinics, you play whatever you want. You're your own boss. Like you control the show, then going to work for artists where, where you're not the boss and you're listening to an MD or you're listening to the artist and you're there. Now you're in the service business. Right. And how was, how was that transition for you? Well, yeah, it's a little, it actually was, it was an easy transition. Um, something that I, I, I wanted to do anyway, because mm-hmm. like growing up and being the center of attention all the time, that also could be a lot of pressure. You know sure. what I mean? At times, like as I was getting older, then I would understand what butterflies meant and what getting nervous and what the expectation of people have for you. Like all these was, you know, getting stronger as I was getting older. So, you know, doing the clinics and thing, I was having 5,000 people, watch you with five big projectors all over the place. It's just a different type of situation when you're 14, 15 years old mm-hmm. and they're going into 17, 18 still like, so being able to go and play for artists now. Right. And obviously most likely the rest of the band members are like somewhat on the same level as you playing wise, you know what I'm saying? And their own right. It might be a phenomenal, because most, most people want to put a fire band together. Who doesn't want a fire band? So they're going to try to get, you know, one of the best guitar players, one of the best bass players, keyboards, and so forth. So now you're playing with a group of guys or girls that are somewhat at the same level or have the same type of knowledge that you do musically. You know, they might be able to shred the way you do on the drums. They can't do on the guitar. You know what I'm saying? So that for me was gratifying because now I have other people in here that relate to me, mm-hmm. you know? Yep. And we're all listening to the musical director. Now, it's a humbling experience for you to be playing something and thinking that you're killing. And then for somebody, the MD, to pull you over to the side and to have a conversation with you, you know? It lets you know that, no, you're great. It's absolutely phenomenal. But that's not what the part requires. Mm-hmm. Or did you really listen to the pattern, you know? Or I, I kind of need you to just pay attention a little bit more because I, you might feel a little bit too comfortable being that you are who you are. So sometimes it's a humble pie that yeah. you have to, to eat. And you might not, you, you probably didn't, it wasn't probably malicious or anything like that. Sure. You didn't feel like you were doing it on purpose. But because, like, you're so, like, in your natural habitat of being, like, okay, I play the drums, everybody's around, we be killing. But then it's, like, you really have to dig down and be um, very particular with your playing. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a show now. It's yeah. not about you. Yep. For damn sure not about you. The only thing about you is making sure you keep this groove going <laughs> so they can <laughs> sing and, and these dancers can dance. Right. Right? So I've had that happen a couple of times in my earlier years. Um, I put my, my computer by the die. In my earlier years of um, playing, like, you know, I had a couple of MDs that did that and it helped me out tremendously. And I, I, I used those talks for my benefit. I used those to help me and it, it turned out being phenomenal, you know? Um, 
so yeah, the transition was was kind of easy for me because now it's like all the attention's off me. Yeah. You know, all, yeah, and now the attention's on, on all of us. You know, which is cool. We're a unit, so you know, it's 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 a completely different situation. You know, but uh, it it was it was really easy, and I really enjoyed it. I brought your name up in a in a one of the episodes a couple of weeks ago talking about the gig with Katy Perry. And I was like, I wonder if he feels like a Ferrari, like driving on the back streets of like the city where he can only go three miles an hour. But he's like, man, I want to like, I, I want to like throw this in the fifth gear and, and step on the gas. Well, yeah, I, I'm going to tell you what Katy Perry gig was like. So I'm going to tell you what Katy Perry gig was like. Two different analogies. If you can just think about it. If you had an 18 wheeler, right? You're the driver of this 18-wheeler. It probably won't be good for you to go 90 or 100 miles an hour as an 18-wheeler because you're probably carrying a lot of precious cargo. Now, knowing that you want to get to the, to the place faster, you have to digress, bring yourself back, and know that there's a bigger picture. There's a big, something way bigger than you have to make sure you get this precious cargo. That's what they're paying you for. Precious cargo to the other place in one piece, right? Right. And once you get it there, your, your reward is lovely, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, maybe I didn't have my Lamborghini that I got at the crib. I can't take this load in my Lamborghini. I can't take this load in my Ferrari. I can't take this load in my Porsche if I had any of these vehicles. But I do have this 18-wheeler in my backyard that I know I can take all this precious cargo and I would get there. That's what the, the Katy Perry gig was like. Because although I wasn't playing the acoustic drums a lot, everything that you hear, every drum sound I'm playing. Right. I'm talking about every – Chris Pooley was the uh, musical director for, uh, for Katy Perry. And this dude is one of the, one of the most intricate, like, knowledgeable – MDs I've ever worked with. There's only three MDs that I really, really look up to and I really enjoy working with. It's Chris Pooley, Omar Edwards, and this dude named Adam Blackstone. And they're all like yeah. amazing in their own I mean, right. Blackstone's a legend. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, but Omar works with Adam all the time. Omar yeah. Edwards is also you know Omar Edwards? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. And so Chris Pooley, you know, he does Katie, he does uh I think he did Taylor for a while, he does uh American Night, he does a lot of everything. But mm-hmm. His mind is so intricate and so complex, right? That I think I got the most, like, I think I got the biggest wake-up call working for him. Because first of all, I auditioned for Katy Perry. I haven't auditioned for something in years. Really? I didn't know that. Was it like a a cattle call or was there like a select group of people that they were auditioning? Well, it it just so happened that like the bass player for Katy Perry – uh, me and him was on Nickelodeon together when I was 15. Hmm. So wow. I've known him. We played in the Nickelodeon house band for Paul, with Paul Schaefer, who was the hmm. musical director. Really? I and didn't so, know that. Yeah. So we, we did that for a while, did commercials and everything. And then, you know, we parted ways, but we still kept in touch. He knew Katie when, when she was Miss Hudson way back in the day when she was just starting performing at little spots and bars and pubs in LA. Right. Um, and he was the bass player for her. So he started and was her bass player forever. You know what I'm saying? So he knew I was a great drummer. He knew he was, uh, I could do the gig. Mm-hmm. He knew I, all my accolades and things that I've done. He, and so it got to the point to where I was actually on stage 
at the Staples Center getting ready to do a, a gig with somebody else, and I got a text message like, are you available to do this audition? And they couldn't tell me who it was for, you know, top secret, whatever. And come to find out I was auditioning for Katie, which was, you know, crazy. I met Chris for the first time. And it was a, it was a phenomenal thing. It's like I just never did it before. Like, I, right. I don't even know what the hell it was like. So I played a couple songs, and I played what was right. But this was the only time that me not playing craziness got me the response that I got, which was hilarious. Because I played the record. I played what I needed to play. I played what Chris told me to play. She was like, I mean, yeah, that sounds, that sounds great. I mean, yeah, it's great. This is her talking to me. She said, I kind of feel back. I feel like you're holding back a little bit. <laughs> I was like, well, I mean, I'm just going to let you know, Katie. I mean, obviously, I can, I can go crazy if you need me to. But I was just trying to play what would need to be played. You know, it's less is more sometimes. And if you need more, I can give that to you. She's like, no, I completely understand. And so she's like, I'll give you a call. And like I said, me and Chris was going back. He told me, yeah, you did great. I got the gig the same day. You nice. know what I'm saying? Nice. But my thing is, like, I knew that when I got into this, well, I didn't know. Let me take that back. I didn't know what I was getting myself into. I didn't know right. that I was going to be playing 90% electronics and 10% acoustic drums. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that he was going to actually dissect and cut samples of every drum part in a Katy Perry song and give it to me. I'm talking about that could be a sound. Put that on a pad. Right. Put that on a pad. I had like seven or eight different sounds and patterns I was playing up there. So I was busy. Yeah. It seems like it'd be hard to remember too. Yeah. I was, so that was, that was great for me because although I wasn't playing a whole bunch, it was another type of challenge of the consistency of playing as if there was no drummer and they were just playing a playback because now I'm not playing live drums with a band. So you can just, it's all feel. Now I'm playing to a grid, right? Everything is automated up there. Once, once the groove goes to the verse, my drums automatically change the sounds. You know what I'm saying? So I got to be on it the entire show. Everything is grabbed visuals, everything. If I mess up, there's hits and I got the bomb or I got, you know, whatever. And I missed the hit and all this stuff has happened. I'm game over. <laughs> so yeah, it was, it was a great experience for me, a learning experience. Chris really helped me understand what it is to be particular and, and extremely professional when it comes down to like learning your part. Right. And he made you feel bad, really bad because he was the only MD that would send each band member right? He would take the time and he would send each band member into their own Dropbox, your part, just your part, up, volume up, is what you call an up mix. Right. Give your part and everything else you kind of hear lower, but you hear your part verbatim, what you're supposed to be playing for every song. There's no reason why you should not be able to come in and play your part or have any type of questions mm-hmm. because it's right there in front of you. Loud and clear. You can't even be like, oh, I couldn't really tell because that was playing. This. No, this is your part. Right. What really made it embarrassing sometimes, and that, that changed quickly. He embarrassed a couple of us in the van, but he'll be sitting out at his desk. Mind you, there's five parts going on. Right. The littlest thing. He'll, he'll be sitting like this. The littlest thing. As soon as you mess up, he'll do like this. And it'll be the littlest thing. He'll do like this. They look at you, right? And you already know 
that he knows. You can't see Tony, but he just made like a very slight oh, eye, yeah. Yeah, eye yeah, movement. Yeah. Like, I see you. I see it you. was crazy, right? <laughs> and then he'll let the whole song go. At the end of the song, he would, I'm no lie, without even writing nothing down, he would go down the line and he would tell everybody what they did wrong. Wow. And how did you do that wrong? How, and, and it was so embarrassing because how does this man know all of our parts? Everybody's right. part. Even from the hi-hat pattern. That's not the right hi-hat pattern there. No, that's not it. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. But that type of like knowledge and, and it, 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 it's just genius when it yeah. comes to this. You know what I'm saying? So I've learned a lot. I've learned a lot with, with being around a lot of great musicians and, and, and amazing MDs. And like I said, the transition of playing with an artist and just learning how to become a great drummer and, and, and somebody that, you know, that want to call me. Yeah. I want them to call me. I want, yeah, yeah, yeah. I want people to want me to play with them because they know that I'm going to do what's needed and mm-hmm. I can do more if needed. And I'm just, a, a, I'm going to give you a, a good time. I'm not mm-hmm. no drama, not any problems. Like I go with the flow. I even put you before me sometimes. That's just how I am. Right. You know, I have the biggest heart. So I think all that together just worked great for me all mm-hmm. in all. How did that compare to working with Jay-Z? I was uh, so happy to see you playing with him. Yeah, it, that was a phenomenal situation just because that story is, is crazy too. One line in the Dream Symbol family that I think is really cool is the Dark Matter family. They have the Flat Earth, the Moon Ride, and the Dark Matter Energy. And although they're all made a little bit differently, they all involve the Dark Matter process. And this is really cool. Check this out. They take a symbol that is already finished and then put it back in the oven, hand hammer it, and then shock it with cold water, and then put it back in the oven. And what happens is the ash and the soot from the oven are fused to the top layer of the metal, which give it this really, really unique sound. And you know what? I want to let you hear exactly what this process does to a symbol. Check them out. To learn more about Dream Symbols, their Dark Matter line, and all their great products, be sure to check out DreamSymbols.com. Jay Z was about all acoustics, <laughs> right? It's all drums. You know what I'm saying? So that's a just complete flip. Um, obviously, just the music by mm-hmm. itself. Pop. We're talking about hip hop. You know, I grew up listening to Hove, mm-hmm. but just being a musician and not wanting to limit my, limit myself, also knew a lot of Katy Perry songs too, amongst right. a whole bunch of other you know, pop stars, but I never thought that I would ever be playing with her. So the Katy Perry gig and the Jay-Z gig was just completely just opposite sides of the spectrum for me. Jay-Z was more drums, acoustic drums, hands-on. Katy Perry was more so like a lot of electric, you know, electric sounds. Because, you know, all in all, every artist wants the band to represent and play the music, their music as close to it as possible, but also still giving like your little edge of flair. That's what makes it a live show. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Who wants to listen to a record 
and they hear it the exact same way. I mean, it got to be some type of difference, you know what I'm saying? Right, Accents. Right. But, so with that being said, you know, there was some extra things here and there, but like I grew up listening to Hove and I grew up like listening to other hip hop artists, you know, and playing and learning these patterns, you know? And right. then the same with, I, I didn't learn and play Katie stuff. But I knew it. You know, like because some of her producers were some of my favorite producers because I'm also in the production, like Max Martin and Dr. Luke and all these people doing all these these records. And, um, you know, they were big time records. And then she also had like some features of artists that I also listened to, Snoop Dogg and Pharrell, everything. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So uh, I thought it was just, first of all, an accomplishment to be able to play with two artists that are basically on the same level in their own right. Right. You know what I'm saying? Katy Perry is at the top of her game in the mm -hmm. pop world. Hove was at the pop, top of his game in the hip-hop world, you know? Mm -hmm. But then it was also a completely different group of people, too. Yeah. Like the musicians, the players, the attitudes. It's like completely different. Two different camps, yep. you know? But I love that because me growing up as a military brat, and me growing up as my father, being in the military, in the army, you know, I, I was born in Germany, but I lived in like five different states. You know what I'm saying? I grew up more so in New York and between New York and Georgia. And I was able to learn how to adapt to whatever environment or situation or people I'm around. Mm -hmm. And that helped me with my career because I, I, I went and did a whole album with Josh Stone and recorded it in Nashville mm -hmm. at, uh, you know, Black, Booty, uh, Black Beauty Studios. And then I go straight from there to go and play with Post Malone. Post Malone has a completely different, you know, vibe yeah. than that. Yeah, yeah. And then, uh, yeah, go back to Jade. And then now I'm playing with, K you know what I'm saying? Just to be mm -hmm. able to go to these different avenues and go down and be cool, you know? And, and, and I think that's where my father came into play really big because, like I said, in an earlier age, he had me listen to everything. Yeah. Everything, and everything like, intrigued me or moved me a little bit, mm -hmm. you know, yep. some more than others. But yeah. I knew I could do it. I never want to limit myself either. But I just had a great time playing with Hov because me and him related on so many different levels just as far as how he came up and then, like, just the knowledge that he had as, as becoming an entrepreneur and a businessman. And then him allowed me to, you know, make history with him a couple of times playing with the – playing at the first inauguration for Obama when mm -hmm. he was president and, like, playing in the center of New York Stadium, that, which has never been done ever right. And fly on a jet to go right to a, a concert. Like these are things that only people could try to come up with and write in fairy tales and shit, you know. Yeah. But it was just great work we had. But the same with Katie, you know, she's a, a amazing woman as well, you know. Mm -hmm. And I loved her just as much, yeah. you know. She had a big heart, you know, and she allowed me to like do this tour with her that was almost a year and four months, you know. And that's a that's the longest tour I've ever done. That's a long tour. You know, with just a couple of breaks, but like nothing crazy. Like, right. But it was amazing. We, we became a family and, you know, I learned a lot of things. And, you know, obviously playing the same music over and over again, I can, of course, get a little repetitive. But, you know, she probably felt the same way, too. Yeah. Her doing the same show every day. But, you know, once you get up there, you get into the vibe, then it just becomes like another show. And you're as if it was your first one. Yeah. You know, and that's yeah. how you have to think about it. But yeah, like both of those situations was amazing for me. Nice. What are some other things that you got your, your hands in right now that you're working on? Um, I mean, more so than anything, 
I want to I want to try to get my my brand off the ground, leaders and legends, mm-hmm. um, and and like actually start getting some merchandise and apparel. Wanted kind of getting like to the fashion side of things, just a little bit, just for myself because like I just never sold anything, or yet alone, no one's ever had anything that's tangible that uh, that has some type of relative to relativity to me. I right. guess if you would put it, you know what I'm saying? Something that could be like, besides a DVD or going to watch me on YouTube, if I have a t-shirt or I have something that, that I represent and something that I support and sign off, uh, you know, that's something else that's, that's very special. So mm-hmm. to have something like that for people to want to wear it and it has meaning behind it, that's something special to me. Because the shirt, the, the, the campaign, I can't even say it right now because... I'm getting things printed and stuff, but when you see it, you'll understand. And it's very, it's very relative to everything, actually. Mm-hmm. So that's one thing. Um, also, I, in all my years as being a drummer, you know, I, I kind of still wanted to dibble and dabble in actually having a real job, like just mm-hmm. to see what it feels like. Right. You know what I'm saying? Just to, you know, just to experience it. You know, because um, I never really had to, like, my life has not been a job at all. It's been a passion. Now, it might have had some uh, job tendencies in it when, when it comes to, like, getting up early in the morning to catch a flight. Or, but you're catching a flight from L.A. to Dubai, bro. Right. Like, <laughs> like you have to, the live call is 4.50 a.m., for us to catch a, a flight to, I don't know, London, so we can do this big-ass festival. Then after that, we go to South America to do this festival there. But we have to be up at 4 or 5 in the morning to catch the flight. I'm really right. going to complain, bro. Right. You know what I'm saying? So it's, yep. it's, just, it's a different type of outlook. You know, sometimes you get tired of it, but sometimes you have to sit back and realize you better be thankful, bro, because it can mm-hmm. be a lot worse, you know? Yeah. But... um. So yeah, you're going to get a job or you got a job? or So I... I I'm looking into possibly like doing real estate. Really? I have my, I, we should talk about it. I have my real estate license. What? Yeah. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. You see what I'm talking The same thing happened with the, <laughs> yes. the same thing. So yeah. uh, a couple of people, a friend of mine that are in the real estate business. Um, well, I'll call them associates because I met them through somebody that's uh, very special to me, but I don't know them like that. I'm getting to know them, but mm-hmm. this is what they do. Their father does it like, you know, different things. And I was just like, I can sell anything. I, I've been a great salesman ever since I was a kid. I remember when horses was another passion of mine when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. And when I was, I used to walk to school around my bike every day to school when I was in like the fifth or sixth grade, when I was living in Georgia, I used to ride past this stable that this old, older woman, um used to run her and i think like her grandson or, or son older older woman but she had some beautiful horses i used to go out there and just look at them all the time before i would go to school always like i want to ride her. i want to ride one so one i just got the balls just to walk up to her door and the knocked on it saw this little black boy outside <laughs> standing in a backpack going right before getting ready to go to school i was like excuse me ma'am i don't really have money like this my my parents really don't even know that i'm even stopping here but i go to school here such and such but i love horses so much and i've always been a a, just a big fan of them and and i've always stopped by your stable is there any way i could possibly like pet one or like help you out or like do something 
She's like, oh, that's sweet. She's like, how about this? Tomorrow morning, you come by at such and such time and we'll talk. So that's what I did. And I, 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 my school, I had to be at school like at 6, 7.30. School was only like 10 minutes away from me. So I got there at 6. She said, if you help me clean the stables of the horse, if I let you get a horse and you ride him, I'll teach you how to ride, but you got to take care of him. And I'll teach you how to do everything. They're fine. I was so excited. Hmm. I was so excited. And I, that lasted a week and like three days. Because <laughs> <laughs> the, the workload was so crazy. Yeah. And I didn't realize how it was because now you're having to go and shovel all this matted stuff from the horse. Yeah. The smell is horrific. I saw somebody get kicked by a horse while it was out there. Like, it was <laughs> like, just a this lot. This ain't for me. It, it, it's a lot going on. I did learn how to ride, though. I learned how to ride English and a little bit of Western. Not crazy Western, you know what I'm saying? Like, flip, but I, I, I got the technique from it. But I was really good. She, she uh, allowed me to do that. So I was thankful. But I was like, man, I want to, you know, that's what it's like to have a job. Like, right. a, like a real job, you know? But, you know, I went through this whole thing. So now, I'm in my years of, I can just really do anything I want to do. I'm still going to play drums. But at this age, okay, maybe I do want to become an entrepreneur. I want to get into a different tax bracket. Yeah. You know, and that's another yeah. thing when I talk about pocket and everything. Like, I don't do the drumming for the money. Obviously, it's, just, it's my source of income. Right. Like, if I had another job, this would just purely be a hobby. Mm-hmm. But this is, what I, this is what I do in order to help me provide for my family. Right. So what, why, like, what other great way to provide if I was to get something else that I did have a passion for or something I was intrigued by and it actually worked great for me. Now I'm a drummer and I have a real estate license. I can sell you a house, get commission on top of that. And then the money I get from that, I can flood into what I love, which is my yep. passion, you know, building my studio or, you know, it's a whole circular like motion, you know, I, I'm with it. I yeah. guess. So that's where I'm at with it. So yeah, like real estate and, um, you know, uh, I, I'm actually back into bowling now. I stopped for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. And now I'm, I'm back into it. I found some friends that are, that are really with it. And we're, I'm actually bowling my first tournament in like 11 years, 12 years. I'm bowling my first nice. tournament on Sunday. Nice. Yeah, so I'm so, I'm really, really excited. So, yeah. But one thing I try not to do, though, I try not to overexert myself by, by trying to do everything. Mm-hmm. You know, that's why you can burn yourself out. So, Commit yourself to, to a few things and really stay committed. Really put forth the effort. Yeah. And if it doesn't work for you, then stop and try something else. Don't waste your time. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Because time yep. is precious, especially at, our, at, at my age, your age. You know, at this time, it's like we really have to focus on and really enjoy, you know, the last part of our life and make sure everything is set for anybody that comes, you know, after us or whatever, you know, whatever yeah. we need to do. So that's, that's the mindset I'm in right now. I agree. Yeah. I agree. And you mentioned teaching. So where's the best way for people to, to get in touch with you if you, yeah. if you want to take lessons? or? Yeah. So just go on my Instagram, Tony Rocha Jr. Hit up my DM. Um, because I do post on there and I say, yo, hit my DMs. I'm checking it all the time right? for new students or whatever. So yeah, Tony Rocha Jr. Uh, hit my DM and I'll, I'll reach back out to you. And I'll give you all the details. Cool. Well, Tony, one, I want to thank you for taking the time to chat. Two, congratulations on your success. And three, I applaud you for someone who was a child prodigy, a child star, you know, starting at at, at such a young age, the way that you've handled yourself all these years and have remained humble 
and have remained genuine and have continued to push the craft forward. I applaud you for that because that's, that's not an easy task. So I, I really appreciate the, the, the way that, that you've handled this throughout your, your entire career with the level of class that you have. Thank you very much. I really appreciate that, man. I really do. Um, and I appreciate you reaching out. And uh, I know before we were supposed to have did it, but I'm glad we had the opportunity to do it and get it done. And uh, just want to let you know, I wasn't, I wasn't trying to, 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 to uh, what's the word? Just not do this. No, no, no. I get it. Schedules are schedules. So I wanted to do good. this. I wasn't trying to divert from yeah, schedule is crazy, but this is this is great, and I, I appreciate that. I've, I've watched some other things, and you're, you're you're a great individual for for allowing people to have the platform to to you know speak their story and tell. You know, yeah, yeah. It, it's it's great, and so uh, keep doing your thing, man. Keep killing, and like I said, it was a pleasure for me, um, and, and thank you for having me here. Likewise, I'll talk yes, to you sir. soon. Yes, sir. There you have it, the one and only, the magnificent Tony Royster Jr. You can find all the show notes by going to drummersresource.com forward slash session 580. Also, if you think that people like this podcast or they would like this podcast, share it with them. You can let them know about it or you can leave a rating or a review. You can do that on iTunes and that lets people know about this podcast, lets them know that they should be listening. So other than that, that's all I got for you. So until the next podcast, keep drumming. Thank you so much for listening and I'll be talking to you soon. Peace. Drummer's Resource is produced by Revoice Media. Executive producer Nick Ruffini, that's me. Edited by Justin Thomas. Video editing by Tomas Shannon. And graphic design by Catherine Wade. For more music and entertainment podcasts, be sure to check out revoicemedia.com.